Welcome to 49. My name is Judd Devermont. I am the director of the Africa program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. I was the National Intelligence Officer for Africa and worked at the National Security Council. And I'm Nicole Ouellette. I'm Chief of Staff at the Open Society Foundations. And like Judd, I served at the National Security Council. I also served at the U.S. State Department and at Senate Foreign Relations Committee, all with a focus on Africa. This podcast has everything you need to know about U.S. policy towards Sub-Saharan Africa. What happened in the past? What should the Biden administration do? Plus, we deliver the goods in 15 minutes or less, one country at a time. This episode is about Zambia, and we are joined by O'Brien Kaba, a lecturer in law at the University of Zambia and a senior research fellow at the Southern African Institute for Policy and Research. Nicole, just give us a quick, quick breakdown on U.S. policy towards Zambia. Okay, here we go. The U.S. established a consulate in Lusaka before independence in 1964. U.S. diplomats wanted to establish close ties with Zambia's new leaders, as well as support U.S. companies in the mining sector. One of the first bilateral spats was over the Chinese-built Tanzanian-Zambia Railway, also known as Tanzam Railroad or Tizara. The United States refused to fund the rail, so the Chinese stepped in. The U.S. charge had to convey Washington's opposition to the Chinese deal to President Kenneth Kwanda, which chilled relations for quite a while. The U.S. financed a road between Zambia and Tanzania instead. U.S.-Zambian foreign relations, however, were mainly focused on Rhodesia, Angola, Mozambique, and South Africa. A key priority was sheltering Zambia from any economic blowback from the Unilateral Declaration on Independence, the UDI, in white-ruled Rhodesia. The U.S. and U.K. even participated in an airlift, flying fuel into Zambia and helping them export their copper. Judd has called this, quote, super cool. Zambia, as a frontline state, was in the middle of all of these anti-colonial and liberation struggles. U.S. diplomats, when they finally received official permission, would meet with representatives of the liberation movements visiting Lusaka. It also meant that South Africa conducted raids into Zambia in pursuit of these individuals. Zambia's critical role prompted President Ford to invite President Kuanda to the White House. Secretary Kissinger followed up with a trip to Lusaka, where he delivered a momentous speech about the U.S. policy towards Southern Africa. President Carter and Reagan also hosted Kuanda at the White House. A lot of Zambia love here. In 1991, Kuanda was defeated in an election, ending 27 years in power. He also passed away this June. From that point on, the United States focused on supporting the country's democracy, which was unsettled at times by third-term bids and two presidential deaths. It also prioritized economic development, health programming, and supporting Zambian peacekeeping. Recently, tensions between the United States and Zambia have increased over President Edgar Lungu's autocratic and conservative Christian leadership. In 2019, U.S. Ambassador Daniel Foote issued a remarkably candid statement criticizing the Lungu administration for corruption and for sending two men to prison for conducting a same-sex relationship, in which he said, let us stop the facade that our governments enjoy warm and cordial relations. He was later recalled to Washington, and there hasn't been a new ambassadorial appointment since. By the way, the whole Foote statement is worth a read. It's been removed from the U.S. Embassy website in Zambia, but can be found on Twitter. So Judd... Do you want to talk about a major U.S. success or a policy failure? Well, I think like other episodes, there's never a straight success and straight failure. Oftentimes it's in the middle. But I want to go back to 
uh, Kenneth Kaunda's visit uh, to President Ford um, in the 70s, and he gave a dinner toast that really shook up Washington. He said, what gives Zambia and Africa a great cause for concern is, Mr. President, America's policy towards Africa, or it is the lack of it, which of course can mean the same thing. And this dinner reception statement really shook up Kissinger and Ford, focused them on Southern Africa issues, led to Kissinger uh, engaging more fulsoming in the region, traveling to Lusaka to give a major speech. So I think credit's actually due to the Zambians here, but it's an example of talking truth to power and then having a policy change because of it. So O'Brien, the hard question is for you. What should uh, the Biden strategy towards Zambia be? I would propose that uh, the Biden government focuses on at least three areas of engagement and collaboration. So the first one, in my view, uh, which is key to the development of the country, Zambia, which would incidentally be beneficial to the Zambia-U.S. relationship, is the area of democracy and good governance. So the U.S. has a, a long history of supporting Zambia in this area. When Zambia reverted to multi-party democracy in 1991, uh, the U.S. was among the foreign agencies that funded uh, the democratization process, supported government, but also supported civil society organizations, human rights organizations, to ensure that we had a mechanism for holding government accountable. However, over the years, that support towards democratization has sort of retreated. In the last few years, I think the bulk of U.S. support has been going towards the health sector, primarily the fight against HIV-AIDS. So the governance sector has sort of been left unattended to. But what has also compounded the problem is that apart from the U.S., uh, other bilateral partners that were significant funders towards good governance support uh, programs, uh, such as the, the Dutch, Danes, and the Norwegians closed embassies in Lusaka. So this basically has left a huge vacuum in terms of support for good governance programs, specifically towards supporting civil society organizations working in the sector. So in my view, the U.S. should consider reviving its interest around good governance. And the consequences of not doing so for Zambia, in my view, are grave. And we already see it, and which is related to my next proposal, which is the issue of public debt and economic recovery. Uh, the other area of focus which the U.S. government could support Zambia in is in, in relation to restructuring its public debt and also uh, helping in terms of finding an economic recovery strategy, uh, but which is based on accountability. So to tie this point with the first one, the biggest cause of uh, economic problems has really been looting and corruption. So there are multiple reports, for example, by the World Bank, by the IMF, and our own Auditor General's reports, indicating that the bulk of uh, the money which was borrowed from the international community, from the private international market, and to some extent from China and others, has not been accounted for, and most of it are found in private pockets. So this shows the importance of good governance. So if help is just given at the economic level without ensuring proper mechanisms for accountability, without a thriving democracy, it means whatever 
help the country receives will likely go to waste and end up in the hands of only a few elite. And this, for example, also ties to the third issue I would propose the Biden government should be involved in. So the third one is the issue of health. And in particular, there's need for support in the fight against COVID-19. So we were lucky the first two waves were not deadly. I think only a few people died. But now Zambia is going through a third wave and we are having mass deaths around us. The health systems are stretched, supplies are inadequate, facilities are inadequate. But the point is that at the beginning of this pandemic, a lot of international agencies and our own citizens and corporate entities in Zambia donated uh, significant uh, sums and goods to government. But the Auditor General in one of the reports indicates that most of the stuff which was donated actually was not accounted for or did not reach the intended beneficiaries. So basically, most of the stuff was looted. So when you have these problems, this tells you that the underlying problem is about governance. Yes, uh, there's need for support in the fight against COVID. Uh, there's need uh, for support in trying to revive our economy. But overall, in my view, the biggest support uh, the country needs is to reinvigorate its democracy, to have respect for uh, institutions, uh, let oversight institutions work and provide uh, checks on government. Uh, you might also be interested to know that Amnesty International uh, released an extremely detailed report on Zambia showing worrying trends of human rights violations uh, that have been going on, especially in the last five years under the leadership of uh, President Nungu. Sorry, I was just going to jump in and say uh, that I think that that's absolutely right. Um, and I'm really glad that you focused on this democracy and governance angle, which is at the root of all the other challenges that you identified around the economy uh, and as the COVID-19 response. Um, and there's it's urgent right now because uh, there will be an election in August. The trend lines for Zambia are very poor. So, Nicole, how do you put all this together? How do you energize the interagency to do some of the things that O'Brien's talking about? I think one of the things we've learned in Zimbabwe and in so many places around the world is when you can't talk to the government, you sure have a lot of time to talk to civil society and to everyday people. And that is where I think the U.S. government and the interagency should be focusing its time. The challenges that you raise, O'Brien, right? So democracy and governance, public debt and economic recovery, in particular accountabilities issues around that, and health. These are trend lines that we hear again and again in these, this 49 podcast that we're doing. And so, you know, I think these are issues where the interagency really has to coalesce as they're looking at global policy, but also policy in Africa and spend a lot of time really getting smart about how to engage with those who aren't in the government system. I mean, and this is really the moment to do that, right? You're moving into an election cycle that is arguably going to be problematic. We are looking at ways to expand democracy and governance assistance, right? This is something that the Biden administration has said is important to them. There's the Democracy Summit. I would not expect Zambia to be invited, though I suppose you never know. And so this is a time to really think about how do we use the tools at our disposal, increase democracy and governance assistance, the major health assistance that we provide, I think it's something like $500 million. How do we get serious about being able to help people, making sure that people in Zambia know that that help is coming from the United States, coming from a good place and endeavoring to help ensure that voices on the ground are represented in government? 
I also sort of hear murmurings of the U.S. government thinking more about how to get at the corruption issue, right, which is a really challenging part of our policy, right? There's no easy way to sort of get at corruption unless you're able to do the forensics to track it. And I do think there's been a lot of talk about how, given the amount of aid that we're moving through countries, how do we start to do better tracking about what happens to those dollars, let alone dollars that government has access to that that aren't from the United States. So again, you know, here is a place where doing some very staple work on democracy and governance aid, on election prep, on election observations, potentially, if they're allowed in, and on really making sure that that health aid, both generally and in the COVID recovery period, or the, I guess, still in the COVID surge period, are things that we use in wise ways and right now. So I take that point, O'Brien, that this is really the moment. Maybe, O'Brien, you can give us just one idea, bold, flashy, that perhaps can just you know, revive our democracy and governance approach uh, in Zambia and, and make some headway. You know, if you were having a meeting with President Biden, what would you tell him to do if you really wanted to take uh, his gloves off and roll up his sleeves? Zambia is facing an uncertain election this year. So my proposal uh, to President Biden would be pick up the phone and call President Lungu and tell him that the international community is watching. So he should respect the will of the people and he should respect human rights in Zambia. I think that's great. I mean, sometimes, uh, you know, the U.S. government system thinks that uh, we should only talk to leaders because they're doing a good job. But we've seen recently in the case of uh, Ethiopia that we have to have high level conversations when we have disagreements uh, or where we have serious concerns. So I think that's a great suggestion. I wanted to ask you one final question. I'm kind of obsessed with Zamrock, right, which is this sound out of Zambia in the 1970s. I hope you're a fan as well, or at least you can explain to our listeners what is Zamrock. Yeah, yeah, I'm a fan of, especially the old version of Zamrock. So basically, it's a, it's a type of music that took root in Zambia in the 1970s. What propelled this to, to, to hold was uh, basically the fact that after independence, government came up with a policy or well, it was essentially a presidential uh, directive uh, that since we're a newly independent state, we needed to promote Zambian music and culture. So the president decreed that 95% of the music that should play on radio should be Zambian music. So what this did was to force local musicians to combine traditional music with various rock versions from all over the world. And then this was turned into Zamrock. Well, that's the show. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and check out our analysis at csis.org backslash Africa. Thanks.